This is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. My name is Julian Guderlei. Welcome to this episode. And I'll use the beginning of this episode today for a short announcement. I took a, a good creative break over the last few weeks, uh, specifically the month of July. Really enjoyed going within, playing outside, and now coming back to you know, my regular publishing rhythm here with the Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode today with Alex Terranova. We've went deep into our passion of men's work and creating spaces for men to connect in different ways than just beer, sports, and um, <laughs> anything else that is part of the old paradigm way of connecting. And there are many new episodes coming in, new collaborations on the back end happening. So I'm really excited for the evolution of this podcast. And thank you for your patience with me in the last weeks. I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, looking forward to hearing from you. Let's get started. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. And in today's episode, my guest is Alex Terranova. Welcome, Alex. Man, the way you just said your name was, that was, I like it. That was great. How do you say your name? How do you say yours? Can you say it again for me? Um, uh, it's, it's just the way I grew up with it. It's Julian yeah. Guderlei. Well, I think, you know, in like, right in America, everybody like butchers, like it has, everybody says it, like you people come with these exotic names and we just make them like bland English. Maybe it's like that in England too. I don't know. I only know in America. Um, but I'm always like, I actually was out with somebody the other day and they told me their name and I was like, no, how do you say it? Like, how do your, how does your family say your name to you? And she, it, she was, uh, she was from Mexico and her name rolled off her tongue and it was beautiful. And it was like, man, everybody should say it like that, but no, so, I'm, so do you say Terra Nova or like, what's your, what's your way of no, using your name? You know, I'm from, I'm born and raised here. My parents are born and raised in America. I say Alex Terranova, but I should say like, you know, Alex Terranova or something like that, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's drop in on that. I think there's a lot in the name and the signature of our names that, you know, um, allows our energy to be present in the room. Um, but I'll, I'll share a bit more of a, an intro about you, Alex. Great to have your voice in this space already. So, you know, Alex is an executive coach helping his clients expand and explore their personal and professional potential by disrupting roadblocks, holding them back from achieving success. And, you know, in addition, Alex just created, a, um, I think, two books, right? Um, the first book was Fictional Authenticity, yeah. and the other one is Redefining Masculinity. Yeah, the second book I co-authored with eight other men that we were cho chosen to all write about masculinity. Yeah, right on. That's I, I can feel this is going to be a big topic for this interview today. And then also, I've been on your show. Uh, you have a great podcast called The Dream Mason Podcast coming out every week with new episodes. So go check out Alex's podcast, The Dream Mason Podcast. So yeah, let's let's jump right in the goods, Alex. Um, redefining masculinity. I, I already like the title. Um, I host men's groups. I'm in men's groups everywhere I go in the world. I feel like there's either this like being man and like old paradigm kind of like by proxy. We're doing the same thing right now. So we're connected or like, did you see the sports news? Like what's up? Or there's this like, let's just be real. I feel this way. And this is, this is my agenda. This is what I want. And once you're in that space, suddenly it's like, oh, cool. Got it. Like we either connect or we don't. Yeah. I, 
you know, I, I had an interesting road in discovering like, ma- like what masculinity meant to me because I was a, as a little boy growing up in Los Angeles, there was this one dynamic that was like all about sports, right? All of me and like my little buddies playing baseball and soccer and basketball. And it was like very like bro culture, you know, we're just mm-hmm. talking about sports. We know all the statistics, you know, we know everything. Our whole life is trading cards and sports, right? And like just doing enough school so your parents like will leave you alone. And then girls come into the picture, right? And now all of a sudden it's like, ooh, sports and girls. And then growing up in Los Angeles, right? A culture that's very vanity, very looks related. Suddenly that becomes a big thing. And then as you grow up, right? Money gets filtered into that. And like toughness, right? You get into like going to bars and guys are getting in fights and, you know, UFC culture and things like that. And all of a sudden, I had a really clear idea that masculinity at a young age was like, who's got the prettiest girl? Um, Who makes the most money, the best car? If you're a good fighter, if you're like charismatic and like, you know, like talk your way into either deals or women um, or maybe like how good a shape you're in. That's what was mass. That was masculinity. And I remember like I was part of that, but there was also this part of me that as I got into my, 20s like didn't want that because I noticed I was like moving away from all my male friends and I and I would have some but I started spending a lot more time with women and I think the reason like look in hindsight was women there was a little more depth even at that age right they were talking about their feelings what they cared about um, more things than just sports women and you know working out Uh, so for me that's totally evolved now where you know I want to have I want to go deep, you know, it's like, I want to put on a, you know, a wetsuit and deep dive with people like under the surface to know, you know, how they feel about things and what, 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 like what, what things cause them to feel and react to versus just, Hey, let's just talk about the game last night. And, you know, we're happy they won or they lost and tell me about your date or your marriage, like all surface level stuff. I think yeah, I'm uh, right there with you. I'm right there with you, Alex. I think this has been probably secretly the frustration for every guy. And then like in, you know, in the conscious process for many of us, it's like when we step into, you know, men's work or, or brotherhood work and we start showing up for each other in the authenticity and honesty of what we're feeling, what shows up first is like many, I guess that goes for all humans, but many men don't even know what they're feeling in the moment it always gets rationalized back into the mind and understanding like Mm -hmm. what's the proper thing to say here. So I know the right thing to say kind of like back in the day, I I relate to your uh, sports metaphor. Um, Definitely knew all the soccer statistics for, you know, a part of my life. And and then I I, like took a long time to let all that go. It's like knowing the soccer statistics is the equivalent of knowing the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like how it, it gave us like credibility or, you know, it made us feel smart or accepted. I think that I was actually, it's funny you say the, the feeling thing. I was with a client yesterday and, or two days ago, and he was telling me about a, a situation with his wife and, and I could hear the heartbreak, right? They had a big fight about something and something that matters a lot to him that doesn't matter to her. And there's just a disconnect and, and there's a lot of heartbreak in his space. But I said, how do you feel? Let's just stop for like trying to fix it. Just tell me how you feel for a minute. And he goes, I mean, I feel sad. And I said, but what does sad feel like? 
right? What is, and he said, what do you mean? And I said, just for a minute, tell me what it feels like in your body. And he was like, this feels like, right? He's like, this feels like therapy. I'm like, dude, this is being human. This is not, we're not talking about, you know, why your mom didn't hold you enough when you were six. And like, we're like talking about how you feel right now in the moment. This is a human, these are just two men connecting, right? I don't even need to be your coach. Just tell me. And he goes, my neck is tight. I'm like, good. Okay, what else? Like, what if I didn't know what sad felt like and you were trying to explain it to me? And, and you know, you could see he, he like, he tangented it off. And he was like, well, she said this. And it was like, no, 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 okay, let's come back. You're telling me what happened. You're giving me the play-by-play, right? We're even conditioned, like by the world we live in to give the news teaches us how to do a play-by-play, yeah. sports yeah. teaches us how to do a play-by-play. The only time I feel like met as men specifically, we actually feel our feelings is like, I'm sure you saw it with soccer. You know, I remember Michael Jordan laying on the floor with a basketball or the championship trophy crying and his dad, like with his hand on his head or when Kobe Bryant died, athletes, you know, came out with so many, you know, so much tears and emotion about the impact, but unless it's death or maybe like heartbreak, right? Like maybe when a guy gets his heart broken, maybe we get to see a little bit if they let us, but for the most part, it's like, let's just talk about the thing instead of actually, like we circumvent the humanity and we like give the highlight reel. Yeah, you just dropped in on a really interesting piece there, which is the, the, the humanity part, like circumventing that we actually are human beings in you know, highly intelligent body vehicles. And these bodies that we're in, they tell us everything we need to know when we listen, right? And so, you know, this is spot on for me for the topic of creating a healthy planet or, you know, a healthier culture. And, you know, especially men's work is something that like literally like just last week, I hosted a men's group yesterday. I was participating in that same group again and receiving leadership from someone else. And it's, it's so, it's so interesting. Like emotions are, are not something, I believe we all share the energy of emotion so we can feel each other, but it's not something that is necessarily experienced by everyone in the same way. So even if you're like, yo, you know what sad feels like. I don't need to explain to you where that feels in my body. Like, well, I don't know where in your body you're getting information right now. Is your solar plexus tight, right? Are you like, like having a hard time speaking because it's like clogging up your throat, or are you just feeling like this, this like this massive wave on your chest? Like, whatever that is, actually, that is a process I believe of of information and liberation in the body that is an intelligence system that then allows you to make the next step, that then allows you to authentically connect with friends, that then allows you to create relationships that are actually taking into account like who you truly are. And so, yeah, that culture, like I, I think we're just birthing that culture. I think that that is what we, you know, people like you and I possibly missed as children and we just adapted into, okay, sports. Can I get can really I, good at the soccer thing. Can I take this like a step further into like, course how this plays out so into like even the the arena of mating rituals and sex um i love that you talk about like when i see your podcast and i think of it right i like green planet to me it's like that's a thriving healthy planet that's more than just like hey the oceans are clean you know it's it's that the people that live on the planet are healthy and thriving the animals are healthier thriving that um that there's an expansive energy, the consciousness of the planet, the people, the beings are all lifted. It's, it's more than, than just like one, one area. Like, and if we, if we relate this, if we go smaller and we look at a person, it's not just like, hey, you're healthy because you drink green juice every day. 
you're healthy because you're mentally healthy, you're physically healthy, you're spiritually healthy, your your relationship is healthy, right? Like it's all these dynamics right on. make up a healthy human being is the mini version of the earth. I, when you talk about listening, the first things that came, started coming to me with my body and hearing signals were, there were two. One was, I noticed I, the cleaner my diet got and the cleaner I took more, to, I took care of myself from a very conscious way, not just like lifting weights and, you know, like, but actually being like, wait, what am I consuming? How am I consuming it? All of a sudden I noticed like I would feel better, but then all of a sudden I would notice I would be in, I would, I would have these stomach aches at one point in my life, like, like all the time I would have stomach aches and I ended a relationship and all of a sudden my stomach aches went away. Diet didn't change. And I, and I hear this from a lot. A lot of my clients have neck pain, shoulder pain, and often it relates to their job or their partner. Yeah. And their body is sending them a signal. It's not that they're sitting in their desk wrong. It could be that, right? But it's like their body is trying to tell them, hey, something is wrong and you're not paying attention to it. So this is the only way I can communicate to you. My gut was like, you're not listening to me. So I'm gonna make this, uh, uh, I'm gonna like get inflamed until you pay attention. And then in the opposite context, you know, as men, we're often, right, we're kind of told to like go out and like, like, like trophyism with women, like get the women, you know, yeah, it's, I don't want to say capture them, but like, um, be charismatic or whatever, so you can like get them in your bed. And as I got older, I started having more experiences where my brain would be like, oh, I can go to bed with a woman. And my body was like, I don't want to. Like, why are you making me do this? Like you, you're only doing it from ego. You're not actually doing it from desire or passion or even pleasure, right? It's just ego. Yeah. And as I had to start in my thirties, like listening to my body, do I want to go on a second date? Do I want to go to bed with this woman? Like, what is my body telling me? Not just my mind. That's like, oh, she's pretty. I love where you're going with this actually. Um, I just launched a, a new leadership incubator with, with a, an epic team of facilitators around me and it's called Presence Foundations. And the way, we, the way we guide people into this kind of whole systems awareness, not just for the outer world and environment and, and regenerative work, which is part of the incubator is through the intelligence of the body. So relating through head, heart and hara or the center, your gut, right? Because those are the three intelligence centers. And so, yeah, I guess the, the way we listen to our body um, is really coming online at this stage of our evolution, just, just naturally by the times we live in. And so it's in direct competition or contrast with the outer world of, of like performance only or profit for profit's sake only. So now just for context, obviously, like prosperity is great, right? Living in full abundance is great, but creating profit for profit only creates damage in the world. And we see those, those repercussions. Now, the same goes, I believe, for performance from a quantitative perspective how many women can i be with how good can i be at the sports because even all of our sports heroes i mean think of american football like age expectancy is like less than any regular human because they like literally are ruining their bodies yeah. right and so yeah. this quantity thinking is is already shifting did you i saw this for the first time like really clear i don't you know i don't know how attached or know how much you know like Michael Jordan in America, right, is a really big icon and obviously in other parts of the world too. I mean, Jordan was pretty big, yeah. Okay, yeah, what, but like I just, right, like in certain places, right, you're a lot more connected to soccer and, than, than basketball. So um, 
And when they did this documentary on ESPN um, about Michael Jordan and the Bulls, like just in the last year, one of the things that hit me really hard, Jordan's always been like a hero of mine, an idol in terms of like, you know, overcoming, you know, obstacles and getting, becoming the greatest ever through discipline and hard work and commitment is the sense I got when I watched this documentary about Michael Jordan now talking about the past was he doesn't seem like a happy person. Now, mm. I, I can be totally off base if somebody listening to this knows Michael Jordan, if he hears this and he's like, he's wrong. But when I watched, my, my, I, I actually felt- Yo, Michael, Michael Jordan, if you're listening, reach out to it, Alex and tell him what's up. <laughs> like, I know, and like, he's like, he's my hero, right? And I felt like my heart felt like it ached for the guy sitting there giving these interviews that I felt like, he accomplished his dream, like his dreams in many ways at a very young age. And then like, what's the rest of his life? And I felt like there was a lot of, again, I'm making this up. This was my interpretation of, of, of watching him on a screen was that idea is like consumption. How many rings can I get? How much money can I make? And how, how can I be the greatest? And those are all externally driven motivations that actually don't, they, they don't ever get to go in through your skin and actually have you change, right? Because with every dollar you make, you more need another dollar. With every championship you get, you want another championship. And so it, it, it's like an externally driven life where it's always the next and the next thing and the next thing and the more and the more and the more because we're, we start relating to these things almost like drugs in a metaphorical yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't even think metaphorically. I guess there is lots of science on that, you know, even just like th think of the, the Instagram and, and Tinder world, which is obviously not winning a championship, but it's similar-ish that you get this dopamine hit that you just want more. You're not even processing what you just received. You just want more of that dopamine hit. And so talk about sports, you know, this is not what I thought we we're gonna talk about, but it's it's actually, it's just so real. And so it's, it's really worth dropping in on it. I always had this wonder in my mind where I'm like, so these guys just won all of the championships that they could this year. Isn't it the right time to retire at the top of their mountain? And very, very, very rarely do you see someone take this like mature step because the addiction loop of the outer performance of like, no, I got to continue to show how, how I'm the greatest perpetuates. And, you know, I don't think this is a, <laughs> I don't think there's anything new to people listening, but like, that's just the wrong signal for any child growing up. Because as a child growing up, we can't all be the best. And as long as we're perpetuating the best only culture, not saying that it's completely wrong, there is a place for healthy competition for sure. And there's also a place for healthy sports. But, but really what we want is like people to be liberated, people to be in their juice, people to be in their like full creative energy, right? So yeah, it's just like, I feel like we're outsourcing leadership and role modeling to kind of like the wrong, the wrong group. Yeah, well, there's, there's also so many opportunities, right? You know, I think athletes, actors, musicians, artists, right? They, because of a unique skill and talent and um, commitment that they have, they put themselves on a, on a pedestal, right? Like we could go idolize garbage men and postal workers, 100%, right? They do really important work. If there were no garbage men, we would have massive problems. Mm -hmm. um, but we choose to your point earlier, right? We choose to idolize people based on a financial, essentially like we idolize the people that make a lot of money. Even now we're moving into a culture 
where who are our new heroes? Gary V, Grant Cardone, like these people that make a lot of money and are now like on social media as like the, they're like the entrepreneur rock stars of the world. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. I think there's great lessons we can learn from them about like discipline and hard work. But at the same time, I agree with you. Like when, when is enough enough? And I had to see this for myself because I was in that culture and I had to realize like now my, my business actually revolves more around how do I make my life every day, like a vacation. Mm -hmm. Now that, that sounds, might sound crazy to some people. What do you mean? Like your life, like a vacation? Well, I try to see the sun rise and set almost every day. No, I don't do it every day. It's not a competition, right? I'm not counting, but I know that the days that I at least get one is a better day. I'm happier. I'm more fulfilled. When I stop in the middle of my day to play with my dog, just lie on the floor, play with her, cuddle with her, better day. When I make sure that my exercise isn't the exercise I'm supposed to do, like just, oh, wake up, go to that class. It's not an autopilot. Like I'm like, hey, what does my body need today? Hmm. Does it need to ride a bike? Does it need to go to the gym? Does it need yoga? And I choose, it's a better day. And even the days where sometimes like you say to a client, like I'll say to a client, hey, can we push back? Can we move up? Can we change? Because it doesn't feel right that day to like actually do, like I need to, I need to be with them and connect with them. And same for them with me that I honor, it's not a, just about productivity and how much can I get done, right? People say that to you all, probably all the time. You tell somebody, how's your day? You tell them all things like, oh, very productive day. I'm like, I don't care how productive my day is. It's like, did I enjoy my day? Because, you know, if we, if we check all the boxes and have all the money, but you and I are sitting in a bar miserable, what's the point of like, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of all those accomplishments if we're not actually enjoying our life or making a difference to help other people enjoy their lives. Right on. I, I fully am in alignment with, with what you're saying there. You know, the, the definition of a healthy life, I, I, I think really is just determined by the quality experiences you're having. And by those quality experiences, actually quite the, like contrary to the, the idea that for some people that's just not possible because they need to provide and all that. I, I agree that that's the situation people are in and, you know, there is privilege for those of us that, you know, grew up with, with, with more in that sense, but really we want everyone to be able to care about the quality of their life because that will influence the quality of their family's life. And that will also influence the kind of work they do and their performance. Ultimately, you know, this is something you and I share is, in, in our coaching work is this like focus on, yeah, kind of the bridge between performance and I call it performance and soul or performance and well-being, right? And performance and personal kind of uh, quality. And Alex, I want to take it back to the book and, you know, kind of redefining masculinity. Like, let's go, let's go a few steps further. So we talked about kind of the, uh, like the onset of the old culture, the sports culture, the comparison culture, the, the tough man culture, all of that. What are some of the what are some of the next steps that that you you know you and the 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 crew of men that co-authored this book um, really see as like the evolved masculine culture? Well, there the interesting thing when you if you look at the book, they're all different. Everybody sees masculinity different. Now, I think all of us see that it needs to evolve. 
right? It can't, we can't keep living from the paradigm that we've been living for because look at the world, it doesn't work. And we live in a masculine driven world. Even women, women that most, most women that have become successful have adopted to living inside of their masculine. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, hey, we need to evolve the masculine. Now, all of us have different reasonings and we all look at it in different ways. We all like present it in different ways. And I think that that's the cool thing about the book is like, you know, somebody, somebody who read it recently reached out to me and was like, man, your story and someone else's story really resonated with me. Another chapter was too Freudian for me. Like I, they, they were like, I can't, you know, connect with it. And I think that's the beauty that you and me can be sending out the same message, but it doesn't land with every person, right? You, you language and connection is not a universal straight line. Everybody has to receive it differently, right? Even if, if we're talking about the planet again, like the reasons for people to want to make the planet better, like for some people, global warming is not going to resonate. For some people, it's animals, right? Like animals dying is the thing that's going to resonate. For somebody else, it's beaches being dirty, right? Like you have to kind of see like, hey, what's the thing? And I think that's the same about masculinity is, we have to see like, hey, where is, where is our life or our society or our town or our city not working because of the old paradigm? And then what do we see as the new, like what do we each see as the new paradigm? Because there is no, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong, like we made up what masculinity was. We made up what- Totally. We, no, we didn't make up masculine and feminine. Those exist in, na like nature has masculine and feminine, but we ascribed- what it meant to be human masculine and what it meant to be human feminine. And I, so if I just say, speak for me and not for all the authors, I think we have to look to the earth. Like, I think we have to look to nature because nature does masculine and feminine everywhere. And nature works with imperfection every single time. Trees don't hustle to grow. You know, anim animals are not, um, are not having like a disciplinary consistency mm -hmm. competition meetings about like how they can animals until humans got involved, animals were doing just fine. Um, and, and there, and some animals are in their masculine and some are more in their feminine. And even in the, I look at even in um, like nature, like the ocean, when the ocean crashes against rocks, you see like it's masculine power. But when it like is just like flowing gently, you see more of its feminine, how it like it's, it's consistent and it flows and how the waves turn over each other. There's no straight line. They're, they're like flowing. That's more of that feminine. And they both exist at the same time. There's this beauty and this harmony and this ease. And then there's also this raw power. Yeah, I love, I love where you just took this, you know, the organic intelligence that is present on this planet that is flowing in all of us is what really informs life. And as long as we're trying to create rights and wrongs and kind of brain measurements of up and down, zero and one, left and right, which is just what the brain does, you know, and it, it has a function and it's, it's a good function to use sometimes. But as long as that's our governing center, it will probably always set ourselves up either for destruction of each other, ourselves and the ecosystems, or at least for this sense of depression, because things aren't always going to be the way the brain wants it to be. And so, you know, you, you, you said this, a, you know, a few sentences back, actually, and I want to, I want to pick this up again. What I heard you say is basically, as long as we're trying to agree even on the sameness of what, let's say, masculinity is, we're going to run into the same kind of quantitative problem. And really, um, 
that's that's the golden key right there that's the the nugget of wisdom is if you're able to like if you disagree with someone that's great you don't need to argue with that same person just let that disagreement inspire you to express what's yours to do you know not, not against this person but inspire in you and through you what's what's your part of diversity to express and to live and I think we're stuck in these loops of trying to get everyone on the same page or like, what are the goals for the planet? Or like, who is in leadership? Mm -hmm. and, and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. What mm -hmm. works is people expressing who they truly are. Yeah, there's a lot of, and I am, I don't want to say I'm not against it because I think they are doing good work, but I, but I think it's more of the same in a lot of ways. There's a lot of men's organizations, men's groups. There's a lot of women's stuff too that they're telling you what masculine or feminine is. So my, my I'm, this is a joke, this is not the truth, but sometimes I'll say women's work is a, is a group of women sitting with tarot cards, crystals, sage, all wearing white dresses with headdresses on in a circle on the beach. And that's what women's work is like. And if you don't wanna do women's work that way, you're not doing it right. Like that's the, right again, it's a joke. I'm, I'm, it's a metaphorical joke, it's not the truth men's version of that is like you and me and 10 other guys are going to go out to the desert and we're going to paint on our face and we're going to bang on our chest and we're going to look each other in the eyes and we're going to scream at each other till we cry and then we're going to hug and we're going to break up these like bonds again it might be great right for some people both of these things are very much needed and helpful and it is so important and it's not the right way it's one way to break up and change your masculine or develop it's one way to break up and develop your feminine and i think that part of when we make it like very like this like like horse blinder kind of like linear route to masculine and feminine there's a like someone's defining it for us we're doing the same thing it's like we took a room of furniture and we just rearranged the furniture in the room instead of just like destroying the whole room and like building something completely new Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to move through a few questions here. I, you know, I'm grateful we dropped in on the on the masculine and re evolved redefining masculine conversation is super present for me right now. You know, I just came back after traveling a few months to to my you know local community and and every every man every man that I'm in friendship with every man that I'm in like business connection or like a relationship with on some level is somewhere craving that at the moment. And the problem is. I think there's a right way rather than just finding out what's my access to this kind of work and which is my group to either partake in or lead in. Right. Um, so Alex, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, just, just drop in on a question or two here. So, you know, now we talked about masculine and feminine and then the redefining of that for a bit. Let's talk about education systems for a second here. I'd love to know from you, you know, if you were able to, to change the education system at large, or if you had a group of experts that you could co-author a book with, just like a few pragmatic things, what would you change? So it's, I mean, it's a perfect question for me because I didn't fit the education system because as a young age, I got diagnosed with learning disabilities. So, and so this is the way I would approach this question because it, it actually feels really relevant is, Learning disabilities, all they really mean is you don't fit in the box that the system decides is how children should learn. Because none of us were born with a instruction manual of how humans are supposed to learn, 
right? Somebody decided, hey, this is a good way for humans to learn. And the education system in reality was designed to help people follow directions and make widgets in a factory, right? The education system, especially in America, I can't speak for the whole world, but I would assume it's pretty similar. It's was, pretty similar, yeah. Was yeah. designed because of the industrialization and industrial compass or the industrial like revolution, which made sense at the time, right? Hey, we're taking people out of the farms and putting them into the factories and we're building a lot of stuff. That, that was the way the world was operating. I'm not saying right or wrong. It's just the way that it was. And so we need people that could follow directions, like almost like militaristically do step one through step 10. The next person does step 11 through whatever. And so they create, we created all these made up standards and someone like me, who my brain doesn't work the same way as someone else, like, let's just say your brain doesn't mean I'm, it took me a long time to realize that didn't mean I wasn't smart. It, it just meant my, it just meant you're using an Apple computer and I'm using Windows and or DOS or something else. We're just not using, and you're telling the Apple operating system is like telling all the other operating systems that they're wrong. They're not wrong, they're just different. And to me, that's the biggest problem in our educational system is we have a one size fits all like model and human beings are not, imagine if we did this with animals. Imagine if we expected all the animals to act like dogs. And we're like, oh, sharks don't act like dogs. They're not, they're not good dogs. Let's kill them. Or let's put them in a special place. Like birds don't act like dogs. Let's, they're not doing right. We expect humans to all think and process and learn the same way. So massive amounts of humans get left out of essentially education and either are told that they're stupid, are told maybe even that they're too gifted. You know, who knows? Because there's a spectrum, right? But they're, we're, we're essentially saying that, hey, this is, you need to fit in this box or there's something wrong with you. And the box is basic and the box is trying to essentially produce worker bees. And if you don't fit inside, you're left out. And that could really impact your whole life. So to me, I don't, the challenge is how do we make something that works for everyone? And I think that's actually where like teamwork comes into play. Like, should education be run on a world level or a, or a federal level? Like, I get why people would say that it should be because it like keeps things on, on track. Like there's an overseer, but it probably would make more sense if, if education was run more on a community level where people could like give each other what they need. Now we have to clean up the communities because some communities don't have the resources, right. To do that. And some communities don't have the people to do the educating. So I don't think it's, it's so tough because nothing is as simple as black and white of like, oh, let's just change the education system. But then there's other, every time you change something to make it better, you have a whole new set of problems. So I think there's a holistic approach that has to be to the point of like, how do we just start being better humans to each other? And then if we actually cared about each other, like from a kindness, empathetic level, Right where we were, at, where we were like, "Hey, wait! Everyone doesn't have to be starving on this planet. We could actually feed everyone starting tomorrow if we decided to, as a as a as a world. Then we could actually create education and politics that would actually be different. But until we actually care about each other, I don't think any of anything is actually possible, because right now we don't actually care about each other, and we might say we do, but the the results and the things we see in the world tell us that we don't." the actual evidence is that we don't care about each other. Sorry, that was a long answer for a 
I mean, I'm, I, you know, don't be sorry. Own it. This is great. I'm glad to bounce off of this. I think this is a great answer. You know, there's a red line, like a red thread through all of your answers, actually, and what we've discussed in this conversation so far. And I'm totally with you that the end result shows we like it's it's it looks like we're not caring. I think maybe we're we are caring because individually when you ask people they are, but then our our values are still just like words on paper. They aren't really the things we are so committed to that we'll just do it no matter what. Mm-hmm. And and so ultimately, like, are we even caring for ourselves then? Because like, you know, we're all in this together. You zoom out a little bit further, we're the blue pearl somewhere floating in the universe, you know? So yeah. so yeah, the red thread I'm I'm detecting in this conversation, which I find really interesting, is it's just that coming back to the real-time observation of who we are, what is real for us, what is needed for who we are, what is the information in our body? Not the like the idea of the industrial revolution robot you should be, or the idea of what's performance in your business, or what's what's the what's going to get you the most rings in the like you know sports metaphor from earlier, but but what is real in your body, real in your head, in your heart, in your gut, that informs you to then take the next steps. And as we're doing this individually, we can do this in small groups and communities, and then at some point also collectively. But really, it, I've come away from just needing linear answers because i think linear answers will rarely get us to these like big complex master plans we've tried this like humanity has literally tried this and and they are obviously corruptible so it's more about the like non-linear the non-linear kind of pathways yeah i you know when i when you said that i was thinking like the reason i'm able to be who i am today and do what i do and the reason i know that i'm smart and the reason that i can write books and the reason that i can have conversations like this is because my mom didn't accept what the system told her. Now, again, I'm coming from so much privilege, right? Like financial privilege, racial privilege, all these things. Um, Even where I grew up in Los Angeles, like geographic privilege. But at the same time, like my mom still didn't accept that, hey, her kid was stupid or something. And so she, if we talk about like, she cared enough to, to figure out what was going on to help me thrive. And that's the most microcosm, right? A mother and a child. And then it would go to like the nuclear family or the bigger family, right? Like what if my mom couldn't do that? Is there a grandparent that could do it? Is there, my dad could have done it. And then what if we went a little bit bigger? What if my parents were like, you know, hustling all day and didn't, could a neighbor have done it? And to me, if we can't do it from the parents to the kids, which a lot of we were not, if we can't do it from sibling to sibling, if we can't do it from neighbor to neighbor, then good luck doing it from like on a state level or a global level or country like or planetary. It's impossible. There's some real wisdom in there, especially if we're still outsourcing our responsibility to do this in a neighborhood level to, wait a second, what did my leader tell me to do? What's the government instructing me to to, to do right now am i supposed to stay at home or am i supposed to keep distance from people or am i actually just totally able to help those that i want to help well and how you answer and where you come from when you answer that question you know like i remember when when all covid stuff started and it was like stay home and wear a mask do did i do i think that it's the right thing i, I don't know i'm not a scientist i don't have the, the all the right information but what i do know is i do my my instinct is to respect other humans so for to start, right? So if, if, my, if the community around me says, hey, let's keep distance away from each other, 
even if I think it's wrong, I want to, res- I, I also want to, res- it's not being a sheep and just going along with it. It's actually showing respect for the people that I'm around. It doesn't mean right when I would walk outside, I live in San Diego. So very like California, everybody would wear masks. I wouldn't wear a mask outside. But when I saw another person walking towards me on the street, I would literally walk off the sidewalk and give them a lot of space because I wanted to respect that, hey, I, I, tr- I didn't do this and I don't want you to feel a certain way. Right. And if I walked into a store and they said, hey, you have to put a mask on. Of course, I'm going to put it on. I'm not going to start a fight and throw a temper tantrum because I have an opinion of something. Right. There's a I think there's a both and right. There's that gray area that it's like the 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 mask or no mask is the perfect example of like what we do as humans, where we make it like just black or white. And we don't think like, hey, what about like, hey, sometimes I, you know, I stop at red lights, even though I don't want to, because I don't want to run someone over. And I wear clothes outside because I don't want to offend people that might be offended. And, you know, I don't, you know, when I, um, if I feel sick at a restaurant, I just don't throw up on the table because I would make me feel good, right? I do things with other humans in mind. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't, but it's not the world. It's not just about me, right? There's a bigger conversation. It's about me. And, and my, and, and obviously we're talking about something very like decisive mass COVID, all these things, but right. I think I it's, mean, it's, it's an example. It's a good example because I, what I hear you saying is not like, don't do what you think is right for you. It's like, do what you think is right for you. So like decline what you don't want to do. Um, I think it's really important to be in integrity with ourselves there. And because of compassion and caring for others, do, do this in a, informed way with the world around you right um very interesting i i'd love to, to add you know add one more question to the mix and that's like sure. more the visionary kind of zoom out question so leaving leaving this topic behind us for a second you know in the post-industrial world that you and i already dreamed up in this conversation um let's just zoom out to like seven generations okay so seven generations into the future what's the world we're leaving here like what's the dream that is in your heart in your mind in your soul that, that you're here, like, why are we here? And what are we leaving? You know, what's your, what's your take on this? And what's your dream or your prayer for this? Oh, man, I have to, I say like, oh, cause I have two, I have like, I think there's a, a spiritual answer and a human answer. And I think for me, they're, they're two different things. Um, from a spiritual place, I really believe everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. That's, and that sounds sometimes really harsh to like, because some people are suffering so much. And, li- and life is not good, but I think I trust and have faith in something bigger. And it's not like a, you know, I, I don't have a name for it. I just trust and have faith that all of this that we live in is cannot just be a random accident. And there's something bigger than all of us that we, that I don't even think we can actually comprehend. We make up things for it, but I think that, that everything is perfect exactly the way it is from a, again, from a spiritual place because it is the only way that it can be at the moment. And that, and, but from a human place, we get the opportunity to decide who we wanna be inside of this reality experiment, you know, life, whatever you wanna call it. And I think seven generations from now, from, it, from a spiritual perspective, it could be exactly the same, which is more technology. And if that's how it's supposed to be, that's how it's supposed to be from a human perspective. I would like to think that seven generations from now, like nobody's going hungry. Like we've decided as a, as a, as people that nobody starves, 
that everyone has like clean water, that people are safe. And I think the only thing that I actually think is that I wish people, my, my wish would be that human beings' basic needs were met, right? Everybody doesn't have to have a beach house and eight boats and a Ferrari, but that we have food, we have shelter, we have safety, we have clean water, uh, and we have the opportunity to like pursue our passion, you know, what gives us pleasure, right? Whether that be to start a business or have a family, that, that those things don't interfere with other people's, right? That everybody has that opportunity. I would hope that that would be my wish is that people's basic needs plus that other one would, could, could be possible. You're muted. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for that answer. Yeah. Hmm. Let's let, let that sink, sink in. Alex, thank you for your time also. Thanks for, you know, just going on a, a bit of a wild ride around what makes us healthy people um, and that, you know, co-create or, or, or lean into a new paradigm of a green and blue planet thriving in the Milky Way galaxy. And so I, I enjoyed our conversation. I'm going to make sure to link out all of, all of your, your work, your podcast, your, your coaching, your books, right? Thank you. Is there anything you'd love to add um, before we wrap this episode? I think the only thing is, I think you, I mean, I want to tell you about this, but I just want to, I think your audience would love it too. I'm, I'm about to release a brand new podcast called The Frequency Shifters. Um, and it's all about the unseen things in this world. So it's a friend of mine. It was her, it was her idea. She brought it to me and I helped her develop it. Um, so The Frequency Shifters show, it's the first episode is on, is, is on iTunes now and Spotify and everywhere, but the, those episodes start dropping on June 1st, but we have people from like Gaia TV coming on to talk about, you know, like, like energy and sound ball healing and musical frequency and, um, uh, the ley lines of the earth and, um, Lumerians and Atlanteans and all these like things that I didn't know anything about, you know, as I've gotten into this work and, you know, whether you believe in this stuff or not, it is fascinating and it makes you think. And I think it's important that we think. Um, so that's the only th thing I would share. I think, I think you would dig it. Um, the frequency shifters, I'll definitely yeah. dig it. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Alex. But thank you thank so you much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having yeah. me on. I, I really appreciate it.